Okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witch Buster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. Yay. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Live from the Auction Community Studios on this Tuesday morning, it is the Wolf and Luke Show. I'm Luke. Wolf, what's going on? How does it feel to not drive the open of the show? You know what? It feels great, as a matter of fact. Just sitting here in the passenger seat, shotgun, as we like to say, Basinonians, broadcasting. Are you ready to broadcast, Luke? Yeah, we got a lot of good guests coming up on the show today, and uh, we got a lot of good topics, too. This first segment, though. Oh, no. Oh, no. Man, nothing sucks the life out of your season faster. (laughs) You can tell Maloney's back. She even potted the music down perfect time right there. of course. And then I killed the moment by pointing it out. Um, Then giving up walk-off losses via your bullpen. Especially when on the road against a really good and loaded and expensive Padres team, your new guy comes in and hits a home run in the top of the ninth to put you up. And then you give up back-to-back home runs in the bottom of the ninth. We have seen this story before. So I'm not going to blame any Diamondbacks fan, (laughs) even though it's only one game, if you're sensitive to this, because it's been an issue for a while. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, um, I wanted game four of that Dodgers series. You know that. We talked about this yesterday. I really, really wanted that base earnings. As we all did. If you're a Diamondback fan, you wanted that split. I, I, we'd love to win them all, right? Of course you would. Let's be realistic about this. The Dodgers have an incredibly talented team. So do the Padres. We all know that. But you wanted that split. Boy, there's game four. And you had the opportunity. Wouldn't it be nice? Especially after they gave Syndergaard $13 million. It was only a one-year contract, but they gave him $13 million. And you just wanted to beat it because the Dodgers, they have resources. Would you say the Dodgers have resources? Yeah, I mean, when you say they gave him $13 million, if he doesn't work out, they'll just give somebody else $13 <laughs> million exact, next week. That's exactly right. And you just wanted it to split just because of how they did it. The fact they only scored seven runs in four games. And somehow, some way, they walked out of there with a split. Last night, you're thinking after Longoria went yard. And of course, Corbin Carroll tying it up at the seventh yeah, with a solo shot himself. Yeah, no big oh deal. my goodness, how awesome was that? And we're going to get into that a little bit later, of course, because that was a big moment right there. But man, when Evan Longoria went yard in the ninth and took the lead, you're thinking, oh, this is at least a split against the Padres in this two-game series. At least. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, they're showing the, not they're showing the, the replays right now. right now. Don't look at that TV. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, what a bummer. I wanted it bad. Look, and that was a bummer. You know my thoughts on these first 10 games. I think they're pivotal in the sense that if you can just get out of these first 10, 5 and 5. Now, that's not going to be my standard all year, but if you can get out of these first 10 games that are all 8 against the Dodgers, 2 against the Padres, if you can get out of there with 5 wins, I think you're in a really good spot for the rest of the season. You don't play those teams very often after that. Um, especially the Dodgers. You only play them 5 times in the final 152 games if you can just get out of the first 10 with five wins and look if you want to get six or seven or whatever that so be it go ahead but last night you had a chance to be three and two and you just had to close out one inning and the bullpen has been pretty good early on this season 
but <laughs> not ha- not okay. You, I don't know that you can go into a season not having a closer. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Let- Closing time. Who sings that song, by the way? Semi-Sonic. Who, who does? Who, Semi-Sonic. Semi-Sonic yeah. right there. Did, did you no, go? Third Eye Blind. Oh, Third Eye Blind. Name the movie, Luke. Okay. <laughs> oh, what is that? Oh, no. Is that, uh... Okay. Friends with benefits. I can see the movie and I can't think of the name. I have no idea uh, what you guys are talking about. I just you asked know, the closing question. time. Whoever I, you know, okay, whoever sings that song right there. It is semi sonic. Semi sonic. It's semi sonic. Okay. Third eye blinds the line from the movie. Um, Thank you for telling me the name of the movie. Or that would have bothered me for four what hours. What a bummer right now, honestly, because you were just hoping, right? I mean, there's a lot of hope that's in behind the Diamondback season. There's a lot of things we're hoping for, and and. We saw some of them come to fruition against the Dodgers in the four-game series, and you're, you know, you're hoping that somehow the pitching and defense and and manufacturing runs, they're they'd be able to actually win games. And that's what they did exactly. How they beat the Dodgers yeah. twice, yeah. for the most part. And you're thinking, man, the hope. And, and here it is, Scott McGuff. Scott McGuff. Would you say when the Diamondbacks acquired Scott McGuff, everybody was, oh, that's going to put us over the top right now, right? Here we go. Let's have a parade down Central. You know, I... I well, Central, it's it's been renamed McGuff. But all of a sudden, you have no closer, and then Scott McGuff is the guy who gets the first opportunity to close, and he does an he excellent done, job. Yeah. He does an excellent job. Andrew Chafin did as well, okay? But he did an excellent job in, in regard to actually going out there, taking the ball, and shutting it down against the Dodgers. And then what happened? You're thinking, okay, here we go. Corey's saying, hey, Scott McGuff, <laughs> take the ball. Go close the game. And you're hoping he was going to be able to do that. That was not the case, was it? That was not. No, and I don't want to say that, like, I don't want to say Scott McGuff can't do this because of one game. I, again, I think a lot of the sensitivity is from what happened last year. We'll get more into D-backs. Uh, Steve Gilbert's going to join us here in a couple minutes. The other thing that happened last night that was huge and it was going on simultaneously was the national championship game. Yes. And it's not Bobby Hurley winning the title, but it is... Danny Hurley winning the title. Here's Bobby Hurley talking about it. Just seeing, like, I just I want to sit back and watch him do it because, like, he deserves this moment. And this is his, and very few people could do what he just did. It's freaking amazing. The tournament's over. Here's Jim Nance. One thing I learned through all of this is everybody has a dream. And everybody has a story to tell. Just try to find that story. Be kind. You told it better than most, let me tell you. Can I tell you one other thing? I mean this, not to try to play off level friends, but to you, everybody in the college game, my CBS family, my family, all the viewers, thank you for being my friend. Oh, that was intense. That's Jim Nance right yeah. there, right? Yeah. Jim Nance. Feels kind of weird hearing Jim Nance and not hearing Tony Romo come over the top screaming something about a play. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it was it was great, though. Honestly, um, Jim Nance has been so good at what he does for a long, long time right now. But um, this was all about the competition and how physical the competition was. The championship game. Did you watch it last night, Basinonians? The NCAA tournament. There it is. San Diego State and UConn, of course. And as soon as the referees declared that this was going to be a physical game, 
game, the very first thing I thought of was Dan Hurley and UConn and how they play. Now, it's not like San Diego State is not a physical team as well. They they engaged in the physicality. It was almost a tackle football game. I don't know how many times you saw somebody just hammer somebody. No call. They got back. San Diego State got back into the game, even though it doesn't look like it if you didn't watch it because UConn won by 17. But they got back into it in the second half with, what, about four or five minutes left because it just felt like they... It felt like they were jumping routes and intercepting every pass. And there was a certain point where I was like, maybe UConn should stop trying to work the bounce pass back into the game in 2023 because San Diego State sees it coming. But you're right. A lot of that was predicated on the fact that they could just kind of push guys out of the way if they had to. UConn could too. And that ultimately favored UConn. It's just amazing because we were talking about this yesterday. You want culture, Basinonians, there's your culture. And the culture for UConn is all about we're just going to play harder than our opponent. That's what we're going to do. And that's what we were talking about yesterday with Dan Hurley. Um, he said, we're, we're able to kind of give you a body blow. That's what he said. We can body blow our opponent. And as I'm watching this game and the physicality behind it, the referees eating their whistles for the most part. Again, I'm not saying it was favoring UConn by any stretch of the imagination. But when they let the boys play for the most part, I thought that favored them. You know, when, when we're playing harder than the other team, which is our calling card, um, you know, going like plus nine on the glass, playing elite defense, and then having a lot of answers on offense. You know, we're there's nowhere where we're uh, yeah, where, where we're weak as a team, and we're deep. So, you know, we're able to kind of you know body blow our opponent, and that's exactly what happened. You watch that game, body blow. Body blow. Yeah, and you're right. It's not like the calls favored UConn, but that style of play, UConn loves to play that style of play. And they ended up looking back pretty dominant throughout this tournament. That's uh, Big Ten basketball. Win lower level tickets for this Thursday's D backs home and op- opener against I mean, the Dodgers. Biggies basketball. I was going to say, wait, did UConn move I was again? drinking a cup of. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wait, what are you drinking a cup of over there? Coffee. Yeah, okay. You better believe it. Coffee in the first segment of the show. This is going to get interesting. Just text baseball to 62620 if you want to go to that D-backs home opener on Thursday for complete details and your chance to win. Again, that's baseball to 62620. We come back. Steve Gilbert's going to join us. How concerned is he after what we saw last night in San Diego? We'll ask the D-backs reporter for MLB.com next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Big East. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This song makes me want to start swinging. Well, unfortunately, it made the Padres want to start swinging in the bottom of the ninth, too. So, yeah. Well, many times, closing time, there are some altercations that happen from time to time. I'm worried we're going to hear this song a lot this year. Uh, Steve Gilbert is joining us on the Arizona Sports Line. I'm not going to make him listen to all of Semi-Sonic. <laughs> Steve, uh, Steve Gilbert, of course, uh, covers the D-backs for MLB.com. Uh, Steve, how's it going today? It's good. How are you guys doing this morning? Uh, less, doing good, Steve. less good than we were after the top of the ninth <laughs> inning last night. <laughs> I guess let's start there. Uh, it's one game. It's, it's There's 162 of these this year, but I feel like we're all kind of sensitive to this after the way last year played out, and I feel like there's more on the line this year. So what did you make of uh, of how things unfolded in the bottom of the ninth last night? 
Well, uh, to, to quote uh, Nick Pecoro, it's not what you want. Um, he likes to use that phrase all the time. <laughs> oh, he said, what do you think about such and such? He goes, eh, not what you want. Um, anyway, I, listen, I, yeah, it was uh, obviously a heartbreaking loss for them. Uh, the way they, they rebounded after a, a tough start from uh, from Ryan Nelson early, and then he ends up pitching better, and they, they take a lead. It, it looked like, wow, they were going to walk away with uh, – with uh, a win in the series first game against the Padres, that would have been big for them. I, I think you're right. I think one of the things you hit on is that while it's always disappointing when you lose a game that way, I, I think we're all probably a little sensitive to it because of the way the bullpen's been the last uh, two, three years. And I think that's, uh, that's probably playing into a lot of people's feelings uh, this morning. So, Steve, do you think that this is still going to be a closer by committee right here, or do you think that Tory will lean on Scott McGuff once again if given the situation? I think it's going to come down to, to, to matchups again. I mean, we saw it in L.A. Uh, he used Chafin to close out one two-to-one game. He used a combination of Chafin and McGuff to close out another game. Uh, so I think you'll you'll continue to see him rely on matchups. And I think that's something else that that kind of got lost in the shuffle yesterday was that you know they did win the bullpen did hang on and and so up two 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 to one games in in Los Angeles. So um, it's not like the the pen has come in and, and completely uh, imploded here the first uh, five games. Talking to Steve Gilbert of uh, MLB.com. Steve, yeah, it's only five games, and the bullpen actually has been pretty good other than the the bottom of the ninth last night. But it is one of those things that if this starts to snowball, it can really suck the life out of your season. Uh, It's, I mean, there's only so much you can do, I guess, to guard against that. But is is that sort of the plan now to just focus on what's been working out of the bullpen and, and hope this was just a blip on the radar? Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's all they can do at this point is to is to put this behind them and try to you know move right on. I agree with you that you know if it happens again today, then it becomes you know a narrative. It becomes even more of a story. So um, again, let's uh, we'll see what happens over the next week. But uh, they certainly could use to have some. Uh, well, actually, what they could really use is not to put so much pressure on the bullpen with these one run games constantly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would really help. Uh, but if they do, it would help uh, if the bullpen got a, a few saves here to kind of put everybody's mind at, at ease again. You know, it's just so impressive to see Corbin Carroll go out there and get three more hits and uh, playing the way he does, of course. It's so cool to watch him. I absolutely love it. My son watches him as well. He's 13 years old, loves to watch him run the bases the way that he does. And this is what we're going to see from the Diamondbacks all year long, or at least we think that. Can you tell me what Corbin Carroll is like? What do you know of Corbin Carroll as a young man, Steve? Well, he's, let's start with, he's extremely bright, um, and he's extremely focused. Uh, you know, we, we did a story on him last year after he injured his shoulder. Uh, what could just be a, a real devastating injury for a player. You know, he spent about a day uh, processing it emotionally, and then he, he carries a, a spiral notebook with him uh, that he writes a lot of stuff down in. And he pulled out his notebook and he came up with, okay, what things can I get better at while I'm while I'm rehabbing this year since I can't play this year? And he came up with a whole host of things that he thought he could get better at and, and also uh, went back to school at ASU um, to, to, as he said, try to uh, build capacity in terms of uh, keeping himself busy and stretching his limits and, and continuing to 
to uh, to build those muscles, both physically and mentally. Uh, and then he came out to, to Chase Field that year. Uh, a lot of people didn't know it, but he was sitting behind home plate for most of their home games with one of their advanced scouts uh, talking baseball, going over every situation that was happening on the field and so much so that they, they got tired of, uh, of leaving him a ticket every day, so they gave him a, a baseball operations badge so that he could just get in whenever he wanted to. So that I don't know if those, those couple of little stories there kind of shed light as to, to what kind of character he has and, and how hard of a worker he is and why uh, they, they felt comfortable giving him an eight-year eight extension because they know he's going to that he's not going to let up. Steve, I just got to follow up. I, I want to make sure I, I'm hearing you correctly. You said a spiral notebook. He carries that with him daily. He has that. He has that. He has that with him. And you know, I don't know that he brings it to the field with him, but he does have that with him. And, <laughs> and when he wants to remember something, when when he wants to work through something, that's that's what he will open up and and uh, and write it. Yeah, I would advise him to not change anything he's doing. That is an old soul. That sounds like well, an old I mean, soul if, right there. And if you talk to if you talk to Tori Lavello, you know, Tori's told the story too that you know they have guys in at the end of the year to kind of go, you know, what are you going to work out on the off season? And some guys are more specific than others, and you know, Corbin would would walk in with his notebook and open it up and say, okay, this is this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to get better at. This is the the activities I'm going to do to to get better. And and uh, it's just always been impressive to the to the entire organization. Great stuff. Uh, wow. this is joined by Steve Gilbert right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Steve Madison Bumgarner. Again, it's just one start, but again, I think people are sensitive to it over because of what it's been over the last few years with Mad Bum, where he's been really up and down. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday. How long do you think the leash is on him if he strings together a few of these bad starts? Yeah, that's a great question too. I, I think there was a when we uh, walked in the clubhouse after uh, after that game the next day, the next morning, next I'm sorry afternoon, and saw that his uh, his locker was empty. We all thought, "Whoa, that was quick." Um, but it was just that they had sent him back for tests because he, you know, he felt like he had some arm fatigue. Yeah, guys, I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's a really great question and something that. Uh, how much longer they go? What, what is he making progress? Do they feel like he's making progress? Uh, they feel like there's something he can can do about it. So uh, that's that's something that certainly bears watching if if uh, if he continues to struggle. Steve, how important do you think the start of the season is? And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the first 25 games, 30 games of the season. How, how important do you think it is for the Diamondbacks, this young team, to get off to a good start? Well, I think we see it all the time in sports, Wolf, right, where a team gets off to a good start and then they start believing in themselves and then it kind of is snowballs in the, in the positive direction, kind of what we're talking about with the bullpen. You know, if they, if they keep having bad outings, it snowballs into, uh, oh, here we go again type thing. So uh, I think for them, it's certainly important. I think it would help them build some confidence, get them on a roll uh, after what's happened the last few seasons. And certainly the young guys, you know, if the young guys get off to a good start and, and they're rolling, you know, they don't, they don't know any better. They like, like to say about young players, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't know enough to be worried or they don't know enough to, to – to not think it's going to just continue. So I think that it's big for a younger team. I think it's big uh, for any team to start believing in itself early on in the season. Steve, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon, and hopefully we won't be playing closing time at the start of the interview. (laughs) 
Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Steve. Uh, Steve Gilbert checking in from MLB.com, covering the D-backs, of course, as he does, and he does it very well. Uh, when, uh, first of all, text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. I'm sure people do have thoughts on the way that game ended last night. I saw many of them, actually, on social media. The Suns could lock up home court tonight, so how should they be approaching these final four games of the regular season? We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. Uh, There's a lot of NBA teams in action tonight. Wolf and the Suns haven't locked up fourth in the uh, the Western Conference quite yet, but they could pretty much do it tonight if they beat San Antonio. And they are 19-point uh, favorites against San Antonio, which I know that you have no concept of what that means. But typically, NBA teams aren't favored over other NBA teams by that many points. Yeah. Like, I know that. That's, yeah. that's extreme. Thank you for that. <laughs> that's a lot. I appreciate that. Well, just that's, the context. I, I know. Um, you're talking about almost 20 points. Can you imagine that right now? It really is about the Phoenix Suns for the rest of the way. It's one of the reasons why. We're going to talk about this, of course, but one of the reasons why I want to see the Phoenix Suns continue to run that lineup out there going into the postseason because, yeah, they will get a bit of a Low. As soon as the regular season ends and the play-in games start, <laughs> it just feels good to say that. To not knowing, have to deal with it. Knowing that, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. And at some point in time before Kevin Durant came back, you wondered if possibly somehow, some way, it could happen when the Suns were played in the play-in game. Well, I mean, even now, they're... They're only three games up on seventh. Now, we talked about this, you know, right before Kevin Durant came back. As much as the Suns were scrambling, three games up with four games to go means they're, they're fine. Uh, but three games up with ten games to go yeah. and, and, and you're not winning is, is kind of an issue. But we talked about this, right? Like, I think it was a day before KD came back. Nobody really took advantage behind them. None of yeah, those teams behind right. them were like, okay, we're going to go on a run. You know, a couple teams improved their standing a little bit, but they improved from like 11th to 9th. Nobody really took off, and it's kind of still the same. Like, I'm looking at, yeah. the, again, the last 10 games for the teams right behind the Suns. You got the Clippers and Golden State are 5-5. Five and five. The Lakers and Pelicans have started to push up. They're 7-3. and three. Minnesota and Oklahoma City are 4-6. and six. Dallas is 3-7. and seven. So nobody, it's not like some team went like Memphis has and just went on eight and two run where all of a sudden if you're not winning you're you're gonna notice that in fact the Suns are the team that's been winning they've won five in a row sure they're in a pretty good spot now yeah and I love the way that they've done it of course with Kevin Durant and the way they're playing so well with KD uh six and oh right now with Kevin Durant of course as they're as a playing let's put it that way um Kevin Durant has been a bit of a prodigal this is a, a guy that has done an incredible thing when you think about it to to come here and dominate the way that he has and play the way that he has when he's actually played in games. It is everything that you're hoping it was going to be with the Suns. It's not just on the offensive end of the floor as well. It's on the defensive end of the floor. 
that you're you're seeing this with Kevin Durant and the impact that he has on his teammates. It, it is right now been a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned in regard to Kevin Durant. Now um, you want to finish the season strong. You do. Finish it out strong. You were talking about this yesterday. I agree with you right now. The Suns, this is all about the Suns getting ready for the postseason. Finish strong. Manage their minutes. Yeah, I I don't even really care who they play. I mean, I'm interested in it, but I I care a lot more about them staying healthy, but also playing together. It's not, well, you can stay healthy by sitting everybody. Yeah, but they've been doing that all year. Not intentionally, but they've been doing that. Like, I actually see the team play together for a little bit, and not for my own entertainment, because you want to hit the playoffs running. And look around you in the Western Conference, a lot of teams aren't hitting the playoffs running. This stat blows my mind, too. If you look at the the 11 teams that are contending, basically, for 10 spots, of those 11 teams, and this it's a misleading stat now, because they had a KD, but it sort of highlights how much they needed them, only the Clippers are averaging less points per game than the Suns. All of these other teams average, I mean, all the way down to Utah, averages more points per game than the Suns. Now, the Suns are much better defensively than a lot of these teams, and this is a season-long stat, and any season-long stat for the Suns is sort of misleading, because they've been like four different teams this year, haven't they? I mean, yes. they've, they've been the team with Mikel and Cam Johnson. They've been the team that had them, but Cam was hurt. And then Booker was hurt. They've been the team with Kevin Durant. They've been the team after the Kevin Durant trade when he wasn't playing. They really have been four different teams this season. Yeah, you know, for me right now, too, just watching the Suns, I still want to see them continue to develop the physicality of their game. This is the one thing that I think we're going to see in the postseason. We all know that. It gets more physical in the postseason, but I think teams are. This is where the prodder comes out. This is where the stick comes out. It does. And you jab your opponent, metaphorically speaking, right in the ring and see how he likes it. This is what I think is still going to happen. Once they get into a seven-game series, once they get into the postseason, this is what's going to happen. Teams are going to come out, and the first thing they're going to say, you need to be physical with these guys. We have no chance of out-talenting them. What we do have a chance of is actually being more physical than they are. And I think that's what we're going to see. Teams come out and get right in their grill. There's a game tonight in particular that if you want to get deep into the weeds and in in, as far as matchups and other stuff in the Western Conference, Golden State hosting Oklahoma City tonight. Because if Golden State is, is going to win these final few games, this is their final home game and they're so much better at home. If Golden State keeps winning, that's who the Suns are going to play in the first round. But the other end of that is if you really want Dallas to miss the play-in, completely, yeah. you want Oklahoma City to win that game. Because it would it would help avoid Golden State in the first round if you care about that. And it would also help keep Dallas just completely out of everything. Like yeah. you're sitting at home with newly acquired Kyrie Irving. But what do you want to do? I, do you want to see Dallas actually get in? Do you want to see them make no. the... No. You don't, you want to see them, them drop uh, below Utah. You're gone. Is that what it is yes. right there? You, it would be nice also, wouldn't it? If somehow, some way though, they did get in and the Suns found a way to actually be the team that eliminated Eliminated them. That would be, that my, be a cleansing, so to speak. Yes, that would be my second option. Either have them miss the play in entirely, or have the Suns be the team <laughs> that takes them out. But it's it's almost impossible for the Suns to play them at any point, just the yeah. way it lines up. Because if they got into the play in, I guess if they became the eight seed and upset Denver, I mean, it, there's a lot of sure. the Suns aren't going to see Dallas. Yeah, in the exactly. This year. Yes. 
that it's looking that way right now, of course. But, you know, once again, I'm just saying. Um, it would be nice. It would be nice, yeah. metaphorically speaking. It would be nice to sit around and talk about the Phoenix Suns thrashing their nemesis, the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I, I would love to see that myself. But having said that, again, I think right now the Phoenix Suns, and this is what is encouraging to me, this is about them. The remainder of the season is about them and how they're playing. And I love that. And this is the reason why I continue to speak on this, but it's the truth. I want to see them continue to embrace the fact that they control their own destiny. They do. They're sitting there right now. I wanted to see them covet that four seed, right? To be in the top four seeds, to actually have home court advantage. And, and to use that to their benefit. I wanted to see them care about that. And by, by the way that they've played, they've done exactly that, Luke. If they win tonight, that's 44 wins. Nobody behind them can surpass 44 yes. wins. Now, there, there could be some tiebreaker scenarios if there's like four teams tied or something. So it's not quite that. But if they win tonight, they have 44 wins and nobody, the Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Pelicans, do none of those teams can get more than 44 wins this season, just the way it works out. All right, we come back, back over to football. Todd McShay just reinforced the best case scenario for the Cardinals at this year draft. We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It seems like every day is the same and I'm left to Okay, Wolf. Got two mock drafts here. Okay. You can pick. Yep. Todd McShay, Lance Zerline. Take McShay. McShay? Okay, we're, we're going to do both, but you're going to start with McShay. Yeah, love okay. Zerline, but let's go McShay. Okay, well, we're starting McShay then. Uh, McShay put out his most recent mock draft. He does two rounds, okay? Okay. With the third pick, he has the Cardinals not taking a player. He has them trading the pick. Aha. Uh-huh. This is why you pick McShay. He trades down with the Colts, and then they take Will Anderson at number four. So this is your, your <laughs> dream a great scenario. place to start, is it not? But, and, but Todd McShay knows. I mean, you can see it. Well, what, he- what are they going to do? The headline for the trade is projected trade. The Colts aren't taking any chances. <laughs> and he has the Colts taking Anthony Richardson at three, and he has the Cardinals taking Will Anderson at four, with the first sentence being, who is rushing the passer in Arizona right now? Well, you know what, Todd? That's a great question. Hence, Will Anderson's a pretty good addition at number four. Yes. And we're talking about a football player once again. It's just interesting to me, this mock draft based on Indians by Todd McShay because of the Indianapolis Colts. And because he sees them doing the exact same thing that we've been talking about here. Of course, they have to. <laughs> I mean, if they, tr- if they truly want a quarterback... There is no way it's going to happen. Even with Jim Irsay as your owner, there's no way Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, is going to go, you know, let's just risk this thing right now. What do you think? We'll just just stay at four. We're not going to give you jack, you know. That's the sort of thing that haunts you for 10 years. If somebody jumps in front of you and takes it. somebody jumps up there. So Todd McShay sees the Colts doing the exact same thing as we've been talking about. I'm, I'm trying to gauge 
gauge through a lot of these mocks, like who would be there at 11 if they really did make that trade with Tennessee that's been floated out there? And it's it's so... It's so wide open at that point because the Cardinals have a lot of needs and there's a lot of different players. There's not a consensus number 11, you know what I mean? There's not a consensus, oh, here's the clear top eight and maybe one of them drops down. It really is, there's the quarterbacks and Will Anderson and then depending on how you feel about Jalen Carter and then it kind of gets, well, yeah. okay, this team needs a corner so they'll take Christian Gonzalez like Todd McShay has Atlanta taking him at eight. They have, um, he has the Titans taking Jackson Smith and Jeeba out of Ohio State. Yeah. Which I wouldn't mind him on, on the Cardinals, actually, now that I think about it. But I don't know if that's their most pressing need. He does, though, like I said, he went two rounds. And he brought up a name that we've already heard once before in the second round for the Cardinals. And at the time, I think it was pro football focus. And I'm I'm intrigued by this name. I think you were kind of like, yeah, I am too. But I don't know if that's necessarily a need. But this is who Todd McShay has them taking at pick 34. Jameer Gibbs, running back, Alabama. Gibbs was all SEC last year in his lone season at Alabama in 2022. The 5'9", 199-pound running back ran for 926 yards and seven touchdowns and had 444 receiving yards and three touchdowns. He possesses great speed as he ran a 4-3-6 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. He is light and quick on his feet, which allows for sudden lateral cuts, and his route running causes defenses problems if they are in man. He sometimes struggles with decisiveness when it comes to inside runs, and he could improve as a blocker. NFL comp, Saints running back, Alvin Kamara. Now again, if you're telling me it's Alvin Kamara, I'll take him in the first round. <laughs> Sold! Yeah, you know, again, uh, okay, Jameer Gibbs right there. We talked a little bit about this. I love that. Yeah, that'd be great in the second round. Get a running back right there, especially a more of a Chase Edmonds type runner. Yeah, I would love that. A guy that comes from an excellent program and has competed, of course, against NFL talent already. Yes, it's at the college level, but there are so many NFL players walking around, uh, not only Alabama, but also SEC teams that are out there of course so yeah I'm all on board with that one right there but it all starts it all starts for me with getting Will Anderson I'm I'm in the danger zone on this I continue to talk about it but if somehow some way the Cardinals aren't able to get Will Anderson at number four because I'm expecting the Colts once again they have to move to number three um, I'm going to be crushed. Well, they have to move to number three if they like one of the quarterbacks, right? I mean, the problem that we, the potential problem that we don't really talk about a ton is what if they look at Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, who are very different quarterbacks? Sure. So they don't look at them the same, but what if they look at them with the same level of optimism? You know what I mean? Now, I guess the fact that those two are such different style of quarterback probably helps the Cardinals, right? Yes. Because it's it's hard to be the Colts and be like, oh, we'll just take whichever one falls to us. Because yeah. that's two very radically different directions with your franchise. Yeah, and you have to remember, Jim Irsay was saying they wanted a quarterback. Remember that? He told everybody. I'm sure Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, appreciated yeah. that. Thank you so much. <laughs> you tell us what we're going to do in the second round, yeah, too. Which is exactly why J.G., Jonathan Gannon, um, <laughs> was talking about the fact that Drew 
Drew Petzing, his offensive coordinator, was mad at him because he was telling people, we're going to put him under center, right? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Why would you provide any aid, comfort, or shelter to the opponent? Why would you do that? You wouldn't, Jim say, would you? Well, you just did. Thank you. You let him know how badly we want to you just, you just ter- Excuse me. You're, you just you know, poked the bear right there because he already said, <laughs> he goes, why would you tell people we're going to play under center? You just gave it. You, I mean, don't you know how to handle the media? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I love that. It's just so truthful, right? It's just so factual. It is. It's just honest by JG. That's right. Why would you tell anybody what it is that we're going to do? But yeah, the Colts appear to be a, a team that is in need of a quarterback. And if you're going to take a quarterback, there's no way they're going to sit there at number four, knowing that any other team in the league that covets one of those quarterbacks could move up to three and get their guy. All right. You want to get crazy? Let's look at Lance Zerline's mock because it okay. takes it, it, it takes everything we think we know about this draft and just flips it on its head because... He has Anthony, uh, you know, I'll just read down some of it, okay? Okay, yeah. You tell me when it starts to get weird, okay? Okay. First pick, he has the Carolina Panthers taking Bryce Young. Okay. Ooh, okay. Right. Right. Uh, it's not Stroud, okay, but, but it's not okay, crazy. Bryce Young. Second pick, he has the Houston Texans taking Tyree Wilson. Whoa, okay, that's weird. That's getting a little weird. Yeah. Uh, he has the Cardinals taking Will Anderson at three, no trade. He has the Ravens making a trade with the Colts, and the Ravens taking C.J. Stroud at four. And okay. it just gets crazier okay. and crazier. Anthony Richardson, who we're all like, wow. fingers crossed, this guy's going to shoot up draft boards. He has him going 14th to the Patriots. Wow. Why I'm absolutely blown away by that. Lance Zerline, really? The Tyree Wilson one kind of... I like Lance Zerline, so I don't want to say... That, so that, so that, do I. That doesn't... It doesn't destroy his credibility, but it sort of makes me not put a whole lot of stock in the rest of of this particular mock draft if he has Tyree Wilson going to the Texans at two. I'm pretty sure... Houston's going to take a quarterback at two. Yeah. yeah. Or they're going to trade down because they like Will Levis and they can get him at seven or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to make a statement right there. You know what, Tyree Wilson? Well, if he wanted to make a statement, he could just put Tyree Wilson at number three with the Arizona Cardinals. He could have just gone one and two. No, he was gone at by quarterback, then. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, just, you know, your mock draft, Lance, you could just put him right there. Tyree Wilson going at not Will Anderson at number three. And I Again, I I want football players. Base annoyance, this is what I want. Uh, One of the things that really is filling me with an awful lot of hope for the Arizona Cardinals is the fact that Jonathan Gannon and this coaching staff, they continue to talk about the physicality of the game. They continue to use words like violence, okay? And, And once again, we know what context they're talking about. My young crunk brothers are talking about in between the white lines and how you're going to play the game. That's great. There's no exception to that outside of those white lines ever, is there? Of course not. But in between those white lines, that's what they're talking about. And I love that mentality. And they're searching for football players who have that mentality, that want to engage in the essence of the game of football and what it's all about, which is driving your opponent into the ground and doing it with malice. And because of that, Will Anderson fits that mold perfectly. You don't have to go anywhere else or look anywhere else. 
Will Anderson, number three, please. Yeah, or number four. There's preferably number four. There's no way that the Texans are taking Tyree Wilson at two, but it does put the thought in your head of like, what if the Cardinals like Tyree Wilson more than Will Anderson? I don't think it's possible. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think they do. I guess anything's possible. Uh, when we come back, back to uh, to basketball. What do the Suns need to work out before the playoffs? Kevin Durant spoke out on one thing in particular. And you figure, given KD's track record, he would know what he's talking about. We'll hear what he had to say next. It's Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.